Hello, everybody. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at Downtown Community. It is great to be with you today. I am away this weekend, so pre-recording this, but we want to take the opportunity to jump right into a brand new series called Ask It. And so we're going to be going through this journey together over the next several weeks. And I am looking forward to this. It's going to be a great summer conversation. Have you ever made a decision and then soon after regretted it? You almost immediately know, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. And then you're like, how, how did I not see? And then you fill in the blank. I remember this was quite a while ago. It was soon after my wife and I moved to Jersey City and we needed a car. And the car we had was not amazing. And so I began to look for cars and I was looking for a specific model and a specific year range and, and you know, a, a price range as well. And I remember finding one that fit this in Connecticut. And then as I was looking and doing this search, lo and behold, I found a car right behind our building in the parking lot behind us. And it was actually half the price of this other one that I found that fit every, every you know, thing that I was looking for. And so it's right behind us, half the price. It was a little bit older. It was older than the range that I wanted, and it had high mileage. And so these are like things that, but, but you know, being a guy, I'm like, it's half the price. And so I go and I look at this thing. And not only is it behind us, so easy to get to, but the guy selling it to me turns out to be an elder in his church in Manhattan. <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, maybe God wants me to buy this car and kind of ignoring some of the other things. And you know, it runs, everything's you know, in proper working order. And so I bought it. And guess what? It was a terrible purchase. It didn't take very long for me to regret buying it. In fact, the price, it wasn't, you know, I say it's, you know, the other car was double the price. I'm not spending a ton of money. It wasn't like it was a lot of money anyway. But I spent in repairs on that car at least the amount of money that the other car was. Like I met that double price very quickly. And so eventually the air conditioning went out on this car. And at that point, my wife and I were like, you know what? We decided it's not worth it to put any more money into this thing. And so we we're just going to let it die and then get, an, get another car after that. And that's exactly what we did. And you can guarantee I made a much better decision on that next purchase. How in the world do you make good decisions? How do you navigate those emotions? And, and like when you think, well, the writing is on the wall. I think God wants me to buy this car. How do you make good decisions and re, you know, walk away from your So that's what we're going to look at. Over the next six weeks, we're going to discuss a question that will clarify your best option for what I think will probably be 90% of the decisions that you make in life. This question that answers just about everything. And it has the potential to foolproof your relationships, your marriage, your finances, your calendar, pace of life, and health. It helps reduce complexity and get you to a decision. The reason we're going to spend the next six weeks is that there are so many different areas, and I want you to be convinced and to develop this as a habit that you always go back to in your life. It will save you time, money, and tears, and hopefully 
you'll carry around less regret and apologize less in your life. Now, I feel confident in saying all these things because this is something that I was taught several years ago and something that other pastors have brought me to and the scripture has led me towards. And asking this question is something that I uh, I found several years ago, and it's made an impact on my life. I, I always go back to it and think about it, especially when decisions come up. Now, fear not. If you know you hear those words, I say, I've, I've, I've experienced this from reading scripture and from pastors and others around me that have been in my life. If you are not a quote-unquote Bible person or a Christian, or you're skeptical of religion, this is interesting for you because you can use this question as a part of any kind of faith. It's actually not faith-dependent. So if you're not a Jesus follower, this is actually optional. But you can try it. And it comes from the foundation of our faith. But even if you don't think this question is relevant for you, here's the interesting thing. Chances are... You will think it is relevant for others in your life. If you have children, you'll absolutely want this. Or for your spouse or your roommate or your boss or employees that you lead on your team. Pretty much anyone whose decisions impact your future. And chances are they'll want the same things out of you. If you are a Christ follower, this question should be a staple part of your decision-making arsenal. It's really required. So, instead of telling you this question up front, I want to help you experience how I have been taught it before and lead you to the scriptures that lead us in this. Now this comes, so I'm going to read you through a scripture coming out of Ephesians. This is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. In fact, in the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures we have, we see this all over. And Paul, now if you don't know much about who Paul is, we call him the Apostle Paul, he steps onto the pages of history actually hating Christians. He spent his life trying to wipe out this movement. He would do everything he could to see them imprisoned and, and tortured, and, and if they were put to death, so be it as well. And then he became one. He became a, a Christian. Not only that, he began to be one of the most you know, prominent Christians and leaders. He's led one of the most significant lives we could say in history. It's amazing. So to help us understand this, think for a moment about a group in this world that you hate the most. And I use that word purposefully. Like, you would be okay if you saw someone from this group or a leader imprisoned. Or maybe even if they were, they were hurt or they died. Like, you wouldn't be sad. What would have to happen for you not, not to only join that group, but also spend the rest of your life pushing its beliefs? Let's just take one, one thing. Imagine becoming... A Republican. Or imagine becoming a Democrat. <laughs> Depending on where you sit. You say, you would say, no, there's no way, there's no way I could do this. Or some of you are like, I don't want one either. I can't imagine, you know, everything pushes us to the extremes of everything. You're like, I don't even want either 
And you are right. You're probably right. Short of something miraculous. And that's Paul's story. That's Paul's story. Everything he wrote, everything he wrote was while those who were with Jesus were still alive. And Paul had this amazing ability to take the teachings of Jesus and help us understand them in a deep way. And if they were not correct, he would have never have been recognized in this way. And he believed that Jesus rose from the dead and the Roman Emperor Nero actually executed him for this Jesus theology. So we take him seriously. Not because this is in a book or we call it the Bible, but because of who said it. He wasn't in it for the fame or the money. You'll, you'll lie to get rich. You'll lie to get famous. You don't lie to be persecuted and tortured over and over again like he was and eventually killed in a very gruesome way. We take his word seriously. And so let's dive into this with, with understanding who wrote this and the background of this. I'm going to read from this passage in Ephesians. This is we, we, it's Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. And this is an incredibly impactful scripture passage that we should take very seriously. So I'm just going to read it all up front, and then I'm just going to break it down for us and walk through it. So let's read this here. It says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What's fascinating, this statement, these, these verses that we're reading, follow a list of things that Christians are supposed to do and not do. It's helping us understand how to, to live a life that is, is pleasing to God, but not only that, will bring us life. And it's predictable stuff, but it's all stuff that we're tempted to jump into and do and out of our brokenness, right? So things like greed or sexual immorality or dishonesty, unkindness or revenge. Essentially, everything that makes a great show. <laughs> a great show that you watch. These are all the things that we want to see and like, because that, that's the interesting stuff, right? And then he says, hey, Christ followers, you are part of God's kingdom. You're called to something amazing, a kingdom of light and love. You can't keep living like you are in the dark. Live as children of the light. And to which we step forward and say, that is not easy. I'm still temptable. Like I'm still susceptible to the same foolish decisions in relationships and spending habits as before. And so he begins to help us understand and gives us a step, a bridge to help us walk away from these things. And so he says, he opens up with this. He says, be very careful then how you live. And this word live, the way it was translated, literally means to walk and, and careful how you walk through life. Every sphere of your life that you walk walk through. You need to think about it. That's what he's saying to us. Be careful to perceive with the eye, to observe, to look at, to pay attention, to examine carefully. 
That's what the words he was saying meant. This is important for us. It's saying you need to be intentional about how you live. You can't just flow through life. You need to actually stop and think about what you do, the decisions that you're making, what everything around you is pushing you to do. It says be careful then how you live. He's saying don't be careless. You need to look back around, look ahead. You need to think. About it. And he says, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, the implication for us here is that being careless is unwise. Being careless is unwise. Careful is wise. So, to not Think about your life. Think about how you're going to spend your money. To think about what you spend your money on. To think about the relationships that you are in, or the you know you know the, the way that you spend your time, what you do in your free time, or how much work that you do, or all these different decisions that you make. To not think about it, that's being careless. So don't live with your eyes closed, but with your eyes open. All the information, get it on the table. You're seeking input from every reliable source. You're not dragged along just by emotions and desires. And if you don't think that means you're being careless in the emotions and in in everything in the culture around us will push you down this river and they'll decide for you. And this is tough because the more, the more our culture is able to to be so loud, it has the ability to push you even harder. Everything around us right now is pushing everything through urgent emotion. Do you ever stop and think about that? Everything is so urgent. Every policy, every event, we feel it, we feel it, it's constant. And so this is a, a especially an important time for us to be hearing Be careful, be careful, think about what you do, not as unwise, but as wise. So this says, as a result, if you live carefully, you will then, this is the next part of this verse, you'll make the most of every opportunity. Why? Why do you you need to take advantage of the time that you have, every opportunity you have? Why? Because the days are evil. The days are evil. Which on the, on the surface sounds like, that sounds so like dramatic. Like, well, wow, that escalated, escalated quickly. But it's true. And in Paul's time, like, like it was very visible. Like we, we were experiencing a lot of evil in the world. You, would, you and I would describe what we're seeing as dark. There's a lot of trouble around us. So this is still true today. And I would argue that what Paul and, the, and the, his audience were experiencing at the time was way worse. This word opportunity, to make the most of every opportunity, is a time-oriented word. Time equals life. And you've heard this before. You've read books, and you've heard things talking about how valuable time is. But it's your most valuable asset. So the way of wisdom yields the highest and best use of your time. 
you'll have less wasted time. But here's the thing with wisdom. Wisdom is not easy to actually take those steps and to do this. It's going to be a harder road. You're going to have to say no to someone. You're going to take time to think, and you're going to have people not be happy with you. You're going to make decisions that go against the flow of things around you. Usually the road of wisdom is a harder one, especially up front. Because the days are evil. There, it, what this says is there is a real consequence to being careless. You need to face up to, pay attention. There is a direction in the place that will lead you to destruction. There's a real consequence. This is why Jesus came to us. One of the things he came to show you and I, you can't just do anything you want. We really want to believe that. And everything around us says, I, I, I do whatever I want to. You can't. You need to be careful. There is a consequence. Decisions will lead you towards evil, towards destruction. And this is the opposite of what you and I hear so many times. And that's why we need to listen to these important words. Make the most every opportunity. The city you're in, the job you have, the community that you live in, this church family that you've been exposed to, all of this is God leading you towards great opportunities. You want to redeem the time. And then he continues in the next verse. He says, therefore, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now that seems straightforward, right? Okay, don't be foolish. And you and I would probably say, I'm not being a fool. I'm, I'm smart. I make good decisions. But how many times do we say, I know this is probably not the best thing to do, but you know, I'm tired. But I'm hurting. But everything's really tough around me. I probably shouldn't keep watching these things. I probably shouldn't stay up and keep doing this. But we do anyway. And the next morning we're like, oh, why did I do this? Right? We, we, we do things that are foolish. We know we shouldn't do. There's something in us that's prone for this. And we say, why in the world? Why did I do this? So we need to understand, think, use your brain. It says, but understand what the Lord's will is. You need to face up what you know God wants for you. So this is saying to be careful, to be wise, is to seek God's input. If you are a Christ follower, this is something that should be part of your life. This is why we love dinner groups, because we're talking about this together. We have others in our lives that can help give input and help us to be directed towards who God is and what he's saying in our life, because these are the words that will lead us to life. It's saying there's someone in my life who, who is truth for me. And we compare this the culture. And we can learn to engage and go all in or to say, maybe I shouldn't. So we're learning 
to engage with wisdom. So this leads us now to the question. Understanding this scripture leads us to the question that we want to ask. And this is going to be a framework for the entire series. So here it is. Ready for this? We're finally to the question, all right? It's this. It's what's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? Now, if I was here in person with you, I would think, I think I, I, don't, I rarely do this, but have us all say this together because I wanted to seek in, but we're not going to do that today because I have no idea how that would go and that would probably fail. That'd be really awkward for you. And I, I don't want to ever lead you into that. But what, what is the wise thing to do? If every invitation, opportunity, every decision that you make, relationships, jobs, apartment what is the wise thing to do it's a question that helps you stop but i'm going to tease this out a little bit because we can just stop there like okay great that's it no that's the whole series six weeks all done right what's the wise thing to do just ask that and you're good but let's tease this out today i'm going to customize it let's i think it's important for us to understand it in three dimensions all right so here's the first one in light of my past experience what is the wise thing to do in light of my past experience what is the wise thing to do you know last time i dated him or went out with her this thing or last time i hung out with these friends this happened last time i said yes or bought one of these or at least this this happened And you begin to think about what has happened in your past. In light of the fact that I just got out of a relationship, maybe this isn't the best time to keep engaging. You know, I, I'm feeling very hurt over these things. Or, you know, I, I've just got my car paid off. Maybe I can be in a good place to stay debt-free, whatever. Or you said, the last time I felt this emotion, so many times we get to places where we feel shame, or we feel hurt, or we feel lonely. And when you feel these things, loneliness, anxiety, are significant emotions that are painful. Last time I felt this, what did I do? I did the thing that I want to do. What did it lead to? It's so hard to push past the urgency and emotion that, that we can't think. A different part of our brain is taking over. We can't think actually about what will happen. Then you say, what happened? Do you remember? And here's the thing about your past. Everybody doesn't share your past. Everybody doesn't share the things that you're prone to do. What's fine for him, it may not be fine for you at all. It just triggers you in a different way. For my wife and I, there are things like where, like she'll do it and it doesn't bother her at all. But for me, if I do something and like, I was like, I can't do this, it's frustrating or it's addictive to me or whatever. Like everything, all of us are prone to different things. So you need to think about who you are. Think it through. You need a mechanism, a word, a phrase that helps you talk it through with yourself. Get beyond the emotion. In light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing to do? Then, this leads us to the second one, which brings us to the present. In light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing to do? 
What's going on in your life right now? That informs like what you're prone to do, the decisions you made in the past, but now what's happening in your life? Is your schedule too packed before you say yes to something? You're like, maybe this isn't the best time. Or your emotional status or how, how you're doing financially. So you might say, well, maybe later. In light of everything that's happening now, I can do this. Maybe I can do this in one to two to three years. Based on your current stage of life, your financial situation, your emotional capacity, your time, all these different things. This helps us inform what's happening right now. A lot of my past, a lot of everything that's going on in my life right now. And then this leads us to the third thing. And maybe you're guessing this, you're with me here. In light of my future hopes and dreams. What is the wise thing to do? This is so important. Understanding your past, getting through those emotions, and the current, usually we are thinking about the current circumstances, but the future, thinking about where you want to be is incredibly informative to what you want to do right now. It brings such clarity so many different times. A great question, you could write this down to ask or say, is in light of the story I want to tell someday, then you fill in the blank. Should I do this? Or maybe you can ask this question, who are you becoming? So this is what God cares so much about you. He is for you. He cares about who you're becoming. As a parent, this is how I parent, how I, how I make decisions for my kids. I think about who they are becoming. Now, I'm, not, I'm not parenting in a way that like, I want them to be this, do this job. or do that. I, don't, I don't know what they're going to choose, and I want to lead them in a way to make those decisions on their own. But I care about their character, their heart. Who are they becoming? Those things help inform me how I love them, how I discipline them, when I say no, when we take things away, how you treat someone else if you're hitting someone when they're really little or, or when it, you know, you know, anger or rage, we, we help them understand, no, one day you're going to make decisions on your own. And, and, and because this toy is taken away and you can't play with it, you're going to have pain. There's going to be consequences to life. Who are you becoming? How is your heart? The same is true of us. We kind of need to parent ourselves. And thinking about your future gives you the strength to make good decisions now. Personal vision is often a catalyst for wise decisions. And you need someone who loves you perfectly. How are you allowing God to lead your heart? This is why I love leading you and engaging you, because you're thinking about your profession, your development, how you are moving forward in these different ways in life. And these are good things for you to think about and pursue. And, and others around you are leading you to that. You have so many resources, but very few people are leading you with your heart. And this is God's pursuit of you. I'm going to point you to Him. So if you're a Christ follower, this is essential. To let him love you and lead your heart. Those are the things that usually derail 
everybody, not their competency, but their emotional decisions. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that we often betray our own futures with decisions that we make in the moment? This is, these are the calls that I get as a pastor many times. I, I'm so, I regret this. I can't believe I did this. How did I make this decision? How could I have been so foolish to, to buy this car that was obviously older than I wanted and, and, and all these things seem to be right, but now in the hindsight, it's like that was a really dumb decision. <laughs> you know, like how do you make these things? Like how do you get past this? There's something in us. We just sabotage ourselves. This speaks to that, that word, the days are evil. There's, there's sin. This is how temptation blinds us. You are actually blind. And that's why these words come from Paul to say, be very careful then how you live. Don't trade in your future for something or someone that won't be there in the future. This is all over scripture. One of the most prominent stories in scripture is the story of Jacob and Esau. And Esau gave up his birthright, everything in him, for a bowl of beans. Seriously, it's a funny and, and crazy awful story all at the same time. And this is so true of us. So much of our culture is trading in, trading in their future, their birthright, the most significant part of their lives, just for whatever is happening in the moment. And if we're not careful, you're not thinking about what's going on, you will be pulled down this stream and not live anything worth the future. And you will regret it. This is not easy to do. It's not easy for my kids to, to, to not be able to do some of the same things that their friends do, for me to say no and then, and then to make those decisions. That's, it's not easy for us to walk against things that are in our culture. We don't walk against everything. There's so many things that Christ affirms but we tap in and we, and we be careful. The same is true of me. And I need Christ. I need this template, this standard that shows me what is real. To measure the present against the future. It's not easy. All right, that's, that's a little heavy. But man, it's so important, right? So let's put this all together, okay? Here's everything together. And what is the wise thing to do? In light of my past experience, current circumstances, and future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? There it is. Now, one final thing. This is, this is interesting. Nobody, nobody plans to mess up her life or his life. Nobody plans to mess up their lives, right? He just fall, fails to plan not to. You know, he failed to plan not to mess up our life. Like, we don't think about this. Nobody plans financial ruin through credit and debt. Or nobody plans a bad marriage. How can I make this marriage be awful? I, this, this, what, nobody does that. Nobody plans to be involved with someone in a relationship that creates a bad marriage. Like, no, nobody plans regret. But by ignoring these simple principles, they don't plan not to. Many, or probably most, of our relational or financial stories, nightmare stories, would have been avoided if someone 
and asked this question and followed through. I've given advice to friends and people and they didn't believe me and then walked right into it. You gotta ask the question and follow through. So how do we develop this habit? This week one, this is a very simple step. You've got homework, okay? But this is really easy homework. You ready? Your homework is to ask it. I just want you to observe. You're asking it. You don't have to answer it. Out of every invitation, opportunity, relationship, you're, think about this, or decision you're going to make. What is the wise thing to do? You don't have to do anything differently, okay? But you owe it to yourself to know, if I were going to do the wise thing, what would that be? What would that be? And then, just by asking it, even if you don't follow through, you'll discover something about you. If you lead a team of people, if you're a boss or a manager, and that answer to that question is exactly what your team has been telling you, but you aren't about to let them know, what does that say about you? If, if the answer to this question is exactly what you're parents have been telling you or your roommate or your friends and you don't you're about to you know there's no way you'll let them know what does that say about you husbands when the answer to that question is exactly what your wife has been telling you but you aren't about to tell her what is that that's normal <laughs> that's normal wives when the answer to that question is exactly what your husband has been telling you that's a miracle <laughs> We're not usually on the, on the ball that much, right? All kidding aside, if something in you resists ask, asking, then you know you don't have your best interest in mind. Let me end with this. Here's what you will discover, especially if you're not a church person or you, you think, maybe you think the God of Scripture is too narrow. You're going to discover that the path of wisdom will look strangely similar to the moral relational and ethical standards given to us in the New Testament scriptures. See, God isn't primarily against us. No, God is for you, which means he's against anything that hurts you. So, ask it. Ask it. We'll pick up the discussion there next week. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and the way that you are leading us towards life, towards joy. I pray that we would learn to trust you and lead lives of wisdom. The world around us is desperate for wise decision makers. May we learn to ask it. Thank you. Amen.